0: So at our first service, they had me go out into the lobby so I couldn't see rehearsal. So I didn't know what was coming. And uh, I felt at our first service, I was like flat-footed the entire message. Uh, I wasn't expecting the magnitude of the moment. And uh, I felt like I spent the first 20 or 30 minutes of my message trying to gather myself. Kind of makes me think of like a wedding when the bride and the groom go off for a minute and the pastor says hey the the couple would love to meet with you and see you at the reception but there's a moment where they go off to themselves to kind of absorb uh, the moment and I almost felt like last night I probably needed one of those moments and and even now I still feel like I'm I'm absorbing the moment the athlete in me wants to do things sports guys do that don't make sense and are kind of strange but it just feels right like (laughs) someone smacked my hind end or fist bumped me or (laughs) bump chest with me, do something that just feels appropriate. Um, what a moment. And I am just incredibly honored and my heart is exploding with gratitude. Uh, first and foremost, to the goodness of our God. God is so good, is he not? He's just amazing. And a close second, and it's close. Um, is to our pastor, Pastor Steven Sandy Poe. And yeah, amazing. It is rare what we get to witness, myself included, having a front row seat to what I believe to be a world-class outlier. Uh, Perhaps the greatest pastor I've met uh, in person and your leadership in my life, your investment into me personally, this last year has been the ultimate gift, and coming in, I had a high view of the two of you. I respected what i seen you accomplish from a distance and knew the heritage of this church, and I wasn't expecting uh, to gain a pastor myself. I came in with the mindset, I'm here to replace one, not receive one, and probably similar to many of you, I'm... I'm sad to see my pastor retire as well. I love my pastor. And to watch a a couple do it with class and integrity and an abnormal amount of humility, and to do it right and to finish strong and to complete the task and to steward their influence with just impeccable excellence. Church, at all of our campuses, can we just show our love and our appreciation for Pastor Steven Sandy? Loves this sort of thing. Make them feel awkward, folks. Outstanding. This last year has been the ultimate gift. It's been inspiring. It's been challenging. It's also been extremely comical. Uh, As Pastor Steve mentioned, the two of us are, are radically different. When you Combined a stoic baby boomer with a sentimental millennial. Uh, It just makes for a a lot of really fun interactions. Uh, But my hat's off to you too, and I'm thankful. I'm also thankful for the elders uh, and what you've seen in me and the secret shopping you did in my auditorium there in Minnesota and just the relationship I've developed with you guys. Down to the staffs, the executive team, Pastor Jason, Pastor Mark, Pastor Kurt, entire staff at all of our campuses, just the ultimate gift. Uh, And then you as a congregation. Um, I mean, we're kicking off a series called The Bottom of the Night, Thriving Under Pressure, and I must admit, I sense a little pressure today. Uh, This is a big moment, uh, but you guys have just been so loving and accepting of our family, and uh, it has truly meant the world to us. I also just want to acknowledge that in the room today, there are Just some really special people in my life. My former elders, staff members. Oh man, both together. Man, to have my former church drive 10 hours to church today is pretty amazing. my wife, my kids, thanks for saying yes. This conversation began early as a, hey, this is a family calling. Uh, It's not just dad getting a new job. It's kids, you laying down a lot. Kristen, we just bought the house of our dreams. Hey, we're laying that down. We're going to downsize and move into a condo for a season. Um, Thanks for just cheering dad on. And babe, thanks for being the Holy Spirit in our household. Your voice carries a ton of weight with me personally. We are uh, kicking off a series called The Bottom of the Ninth, How to Thrive Under Pressure. And uh, at all of our campuses, we're launching these groups. And I feel like I'm s- switching gears without a clutch here. <laughs> like. <laughs> but I, I do believe that maybe what you're getting to participate in and witness today hopefully would trigger some curiosity in your own life. As you look at me, maybe you find yourself thinking, man, God truly can use anybody. Um, (laughs) Chances are you'll look in the mirror and say, the same is true about you. That God has a, a call and a plan and a desire to see his purpose fulfilled in your life and our savior split the skies and love rushed into our world. And Jesus stepped into our shoes and died a vicious death, also that you and I could step into His and live a victorious life. Jesus went on a mission trip from heaven to earth, and He left perfection for your potential and for my potential. I think a lot of times we talk about how much, well, how important it is for you and I to believe in God. It's critical. That we should live with the utmost faith and confidence and belief in God. But sometimes we never talk about how much he believes in us. And you should know that the one who knows you the best believes a great deal about you. And he is confident in his ability to accomplish things in your life you would not believe to be possible. And my challenge and my prayer is for every single one of us to continue embarking on this Relationship and this endeavor as we grow in our understanding and our connection with God. What I love about our God is He's not just a purposeful God, but He's a personal God. And somehow He has the capacity to be hyper-attentive to each and every one of us. That He loves all of us as if there was only one of us. I mean, we just get such tailor-fit love and grace applied to our life from our Heavenly Father. And I pray you grow in your relationship with Him. And all throughout Scripture, the overarching theme we talk about often is relationship. And there are different levels to these relationships that we have with God. And the first level of these relationships would be seed and soil. Scripture says that, you know, God is kind of like this seed planted within our life that produces something beyond our comprehension. At times, beyond things we even know to even pray for. And our lives, our heart, our soul is this soil that when this seed is planted within us, it can produce beautiful things. And so a lot of times we come to God in this very fundamental relational dynamic of seed and soil. But then beyond that, there's shepherd and sheep. As you grow in your relationship with God, you start to understand him as a good shepherd. In fact, next week we're going to unpack this idea even deeper. You start to recognize his ability to to provide for you and to guide you and to protect you. He is a good shepherd and we are his flock. And you, you start to understand that as a relational dynamic. But beyond that, you then also understand that part of the relationship is master and slave. Not slave as we would know in our American culture, but in their day, slave as in, I am a servant to this master's orders. I'm here to serve the purposes and fulfill the agendas of this house, and you start to understand that the same is true in us, that we take our cues from Christ, not from our company, not from our culture, not from our society, not from the world at large. We take our cues from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who reigns supreme over the kingdom of God. That's who we take our cues from. He is master and we serve his purposes. In addition to that, and this is where most people live, is there's another level of this relationship. It's paternal. It has a family dynamic to it. You start to realize that it's not just transactional. That our God cares to be in deep relationship, the type of relationship a father has with a child. And you start to understand how endearing and how precious and how intimately connected he wants to be with every single one of us. And most people... They stop there. It's not a bad place to end, but you should just know that there's more to this life with faith, this life with Christ. And the next level of relationship gets more singular, where we become friends with God. It's hard to understand this, but God wants to be your friend. God believes you have the ability to be a good friend to Him. It's amazing to think about. And it's growing in our friendship with God, today we're going to look at someone who is known as the friend of God. And my prayer is that you are enticed and challenged and inspired to yourself be a friend of God. To receive his friendship and to offer him yours. And then there's a there's a final level. And that is lover. Which if I'm honest for most people is kind of awkward and hard to get their mind around. Quite honestly, this doesn't come into full reality until we step into eternity and Christ the groom returns for his bride where we experience the fullness of his love and adoration for every single one of us. But wherever you are, understand that this is a relationship that is robust with potential for you to grow in your connection with this God. And my prayer... As you wake up every single day eager and inspired enticed and curious, God, what more do you have in store for my life? This individual who is known as the friend of God is a man by the name of Abram, who then gets his name remixed to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Abram meant dad. So Abraham essentially meant big daddy, right? He just... A much fuller expression. God comes to him and makes a, a pretty remarkable promise and calls him out of his current context and everything he's known away from family and society and stability all to follow the call of God that is on his life. And that is my, my prompting today is to get you thinking about what is your calling. Why on earth does God have you on earth is a big concept. But when we lean into it, it's fascinating. And scripture tells us this in Hebrews. It says, By faith, which is the catalyst of this relationship we have with Christ. By faith, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he I love this statement was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Even though he had some questions and there was some uncertainty, the one thing he sensed in his spirit is this God is, He's an architect. He's a builder. He's a developer. He's a creator. And what he puts his hand to, nothing in the world can manufacture anything close to it. He is a great builder. And it sparked a curiosity in in Abram's life. If this architect and builder created all of this, what does he seek to build and create in my life personally? And I pray you find yourself intrigued by that same question. What is God trying to build in your life. But here's the thing, when it comes to calling, a lot of times, individuals like myself speak in terms of calling very, in certain terms, very confident. We say things like, hey, go and do what God called you to do. And then you go jump in the minivan and you look at your spouse and you're like, I got nothing. I don't know what that means. I've always envied the people who got a really crystal clear calling at a young age. Individuals who say things like, hey, at the age of seven, I went to a Bible camp, and God told me, you're going to be a missionary to Dodoma, Tanzania, and you are going to plant water wells all throughout the region. And I'm like, wow, you got all that at the age of seven. (laughs) It's amazing. Sometimes when we think of calling, we assume that it's going to be direct and dramatic. Sometimes those are the only stories we really present to individuals. And then when it's not direct and dramatic for us, we start to assume the problem is on our end. And what I've discovered is God's calling, in most cases, not to say he can't make it direct and dramatic, but in most cases, rather than it being direct and dramatic, it's developed and it's discerned. And it had me thinking about this time, my family and I, we when I was around the age of 10... We went to Vegas. Which, no, if you ever choose this line of work and you feel like you're losing the crowd, say, hey, there's this time we went to Vegas. (laughs) Everybody will pay attention. (laughs) We're walking through this exhibit, and there's this magician out there. And he takes this card, and he floats the card. My mind was blown. And so he's, he's doing this card levitation deal. And so he then starts to ask the crowd... Hey, someone give me a card. Give me a driver's license. Pass it around. Make sure there's nothing wrong with it. The people pass him the driver's license to the front, and he levitates the, the driver's license, and then he says, folks, today, for $30, I will not only sell you this trick. I'll take you in the back room and show you how to do it. At the time, I'm 10 years old. I'm learning to steward my finances, and I think to myself, there is not a better investment this trick so myself and my dad because a chaperone was needed going into a strange private room with a man i never met go into this room with this magician and he takes out this box this is a big box something like wow what what all is in there and he opens it up and here's what's inside it this and you don't even know what i'm holding This is a little bit of thread and some dental wax. And he says, here's what you do. You take a piece of thread and you put wax on the end of it and you stick it to the card. And then you tape the other end to the back of your ear. And so you just spin it out there on the thread. And I was so disappointed. I just paid $30 for supplies I have at home. This is... So underwhelming. I can't believe this is the trick. And no, like, I still haven't been hanging on to this trick since I was 10. I I found that it's now much cheaper for $7 on Amazon. I bought it this week. But here's the thing. In the same way a magician doesn't like to show the secrets to their trick. I hate to admit this. It's embarrassing to admit this. Sometimes we as pastors don't like to show the secrets to our tricks. There's something in our faulty nature, I don't know what it is, that we really want to be impressive when we stand up here. And so we want to function within our faith and spiritually in a way that well maybe comes with more confidence from the congregation. Maybe comes with an impression or more respect or more trust, but in all reality if you were to see behind the scenes to the trick, you'd be like that's that's it. That's how you've developed and discerned your calling. That's how you've discovered God's purpose. Well, anybody could do that. Yeah. Anybody can discover the life altering grace in God's plan and purpose for their life. It's a pretty underwhelming process when you get into it. And what you find with Abraham is, one, it wasn't immediate. It didn't all happen at once. God was gradual in his progression of building these things out. Sometimes the problem isn't with the dream. The problem is with the dreamer. And we have to maturate into God's full plan for our life. Two, it wasn't clear. I mean, there were some details God left out, and sometimes we get frustrated by this. But you should know this is a tender mercy. I remember when I first felt called into the ministry. I just graduated college, and I just came off a a week where I was a part of this, you know, combine for the EBL, which is the European Basketball League. And at the time, I go, and I, I try out, and there's these scouts, and After that, I come back. At the time, Chris and I were volunteering at this small church, maybe 70 people. And they needed someone to to go with the kids to camp. So I go to camp, and I'm chaperoning these elementary school boys, and I'm having a blast. If you've never sat in a room and prayed with some children and been exposed to their audacious faith in God, I'm telling you, they'll minister to you more than you could ever minister to them. And I get a call from my agent. He says, hey, you've been drafted by a team in Berlin. And at this moment, it's like, wow, we're, we're going to Germany. We're going to start our marriage out, you know, living in Europe. And that was kind of the dream. But in this moment, I'm, I'm finding like I'm torn. There's something about this week and serving these kids that was gripping my heart. And Kristen calls me and I said, hey, I, I got a call. Apparently, I got drafted to a team in Berlin. And I said, but I know this is gonna sound crazy. There's part of me that's thinking of just saying no so I can continue serving here at this church. And I'll never forget, I thought I was gonna have to sell Kristen on the idea. And Kristen said, I was hoping you'd say that. At the time, the church couldn't bring me on staff, couldn't afford me, Um, I was pretty expensive back then. So I got a job at a can factory. We manufactured cans for Campbell's Soup and Green Giant. And for two years, I worked overnight so I could work for free at the church full time. And it was life-altering. It was was a privilege. And in that moment, I thought, my goodness, I can't believe I get to speak to 15 teenagers on a weekend. Had God told me, hey, you're going to lead one of the largest churches in America... I probably would have had a stroke. <laughs> it was a tender mercy. God was saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gradually build you into this. Just steward well what I have in front of you. Without a doubt, the best decision I ever made, besides asking Kristen Wade to be my wife and Jesus to be my Savior, is saying yes to the opportunity to serve children in front of me. And it has put me on a path that in a way that I can't comprehend has me standing here today. It wasn't clear. There's going to be things in your journey with Christ that aren't fully clear. In addition to that, it wasn't natural. And sometimes we're, we're trying to reduce God to be more like us rather than stepping out in faith Also, so we can become more like him. This is a supernatural God, and there are things that that take place in the depths of our soul, triggered by the Holy Spirit and God's divine presence, and it is supernatural. And there are things in this life of faith that you cannot experience and you cannot harness apart from a discipline in God's Word, apart from a life with prayer, and apart from a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and His activity in your life. But when you open yourself up to the Spirit of God, it may not be natural. But I'm telling you, it will blow your mind as God begins to fulfill His purpose in your life. But here's the deal, and you have to understand this. Your calling will always have you questioning your capacity. God specializes in bringing men and women to the end of themselves. He specializes in stretching us beyond our limits all to where we arrive at a place where it's clear. Not just to everyone around us. It's clear to ourselves Only God gets credit for this one. He specializes is bringing individuals to the end of themselves. And my prayer is you would live with such faith that you would allow God to bring you to your own personal limits to discover he's still in it. Which that kind of (laughs) rhymed. Dropping bars. (laughs) Here's the deal. Calling cycle is something Krista and I have come to lean on and apply to our own life, hey, there's this idea of a calling cycle, and I'm going to make my way through it quickly because really what I want to end with is what really took place in Abram's life when he discovered this calling. But if you're looking for a real simple, borderline underwhelming framework to develop and discern your calling, Chris and I call it the calling cycle, and it starts with this. The first is the courage to know. The courage to know it's in every season of your life trying to discern the activity of God and discover more of who He created you to be. One way of saying it is it is living out your calling requires a high God awareness and a high self awareness. Your Benjamin Franklin once said the three hardest things in the world diamonds, steel, and knowing yourself. It's just learning to discern and discover and even invite God to reveal to you your blind spots. I think people who, who live out greatness in their life, well, they appreciate brutal facts, not blind spots. Hey, just, just tell me the truth. God, would you awaken my heart and would you awaken my mind to the areas in which I can grow further into my potential? Which ultimately, that's what conviction is. Some of you be careful because somehow out there in the world, conviction is getting a bad rep and it is an amazing gift. Conviction is our creator tapping us on the soul saying, hey, you were created for more. And I would personally rather my sin come with conviction than my sin become a condition. God, if there's anything in my life, would you just tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, you're better than that. And so it is having the courage To discover who did you create me to be. And it it begins with God's word. You discipline yourself in his word. You discover his ways. You're able to discern his will. Pair that with your pattern of success and the gift mix that God has given you. Affirm that with the godly people in your life who you've given access and authority to speak into your identity. Not everybody gets that privilege, folks. But I pray every single one of you is surrounded by people who says, hey, I believe God's best for you. And that's why it's so important to get into a group. It's this courage to know, in this season, what am I learning about myself? In addition to that, the next phase of the cycle would be experience to grow. Every single one of us is going through something. And packed within our experiences is wisdom. And a lot of times people live on these perpetual cycles having to repeat courses because they didn't take notes and then they failed the test. But chances are you're going through things in life. Maybe it's a season of pleasure or maybe it's a season of despair. Maybe it's a season of pain or maybe it's a season of promotion. Maybe it's a season of uncertainty and confusion or maybe it's a season of exhilaration and success I mean, we're all going through things, and it's learning to pump the brakes and say, in this season, how am I growing in my experience? How am I discovering what you want to do next, and how are you molding and shaping me? A good question to ask is, what is God teaching you with what you're going through? What is God teaching me with what I'm going through? I'm discovering myself. I'm growing in my understanding of God and who I'm created to be. I'm also being shaped and molded through my experiences, and it's it's shaping a wisdom and a clarity in my life. In addition to that, what then starts to happen is you discover a value to show. Here's what's going to happen. Life is going to throw a curveball at you. Life is going to come with unexpected circumstances. Life is going to present new opportunities or obstacles. And what's going to happen is, is you are going to discover an effectiveness in an area you didn't realize you were good at. I didn't realize I was good at this until I was placed in this type of circumstance. And you start to realize, I have a value to offer in these type of opportunities or obstacles. And you start to grow in your confidence of your value add. Every single one of us has the ability to add value to the world around us. It's a remarkable thing. God expects us to be agents of change and conduits of hope for the world around us. And my question is, is where is God opening your eyes to your ability to add value? I think a lot of times it's how we understand life that gets us tripped up. I think there's three ways of thinking about life. Some people think of it as a lifeline. And so it's just this linear approach to life. And the moment you're past the halfway part, most people become discouraged And disappointed and depressed because the overarching thought of their mind is, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning. And that thought alone creates discouragement in the hearts of many people. I'm just closer to the end. I have fewer days left than those that are in the past. So there's the lifeline perspective. Secondly, there's the health line perspective. Which once you're past the halfway part, it seems your health begins to decline. I feel like I'm, I'm stepping into that moment, right? I'm not as strong as I was. I'm not as fast as I was. I'm not as fit as I was. This is why Chris and I have decided to be cremated. <laughs> this way we can at least both say we died with smoking hot bodies. <laughs> because after that halfway part, you kind of just, it's downhill from there. And once again comes the thought, My best days are behind me. And some of you are assuming your best days are behind you. But you should know this lifeline and this health line run contradiction to God's approach to life. And all throughout Scripture what you find is this concept of what I would call the impact line. I'm amazed by how early God starts in a person's life in Scripture. I mean, he will begin doing things in the life of a child at a really young age. But then you read stories like Abraham and Noah and all these great patriarchs of the faith and you realize, wait a second, God did things late in their years. And what you realize is when you live with a perspective of I am on an impact line, you start to realize the later it gets, the greater it gets. And my best days are ahead of me. I have value to offer and if I'm not dead, God's not done bring on what he has next it's an amazing idea and so you're growing in this value to to show i have something to offer here but here's where it requires faith and here's where we here's where we miss it there's the courage to know and experience to grow and then there's the value to show and finally church comes the risk to go At some point, you have to bet on yourself. And more importantly, at some point, you have to bet on God. I trust him. I sense he's doing something in my life. I'm paying attention to his activity. I'm growing in my understanding of myself. And I'm going to step out in faith. So I'm going to go back to school. And I'm going to start the company. Or maybe I'm going to leave the company. Or I'm going to ask her to marry me or I'm going to write the book or produce the song. At some point, you have to step out in faith and say, I believe God is doing something in my life, and I am going to accelerate the momentum of his activity, and I'm going to risk, and I'm going to operate in faith. And here's what I'm convinced of. If it doesn't require risk, it doesn't exercise faith. At some point, you have to say, okay, God, I believe you're going with me. And you have to step out. In addition to that, I would say risk is an act of worship. I think it just communicates to our God. I believe you. I believe you're able. But just know this. If you put that calling cycle back up there, you have these four phases. Once you take that risk, you end up back over into this category. I'm just telling you, you take that risk and then you're back in this area of life where you're discovering, now what am I learning about myself? So say you ask homegirl to marry you. Just know that first couple years of marriage come with a lot of self-discovery. You've never had constant commentary applied to your life. (laughs) Now you just have someone offering you constant feedback. Why don't you hang your wet towel? I don't know. Why do you wait to the last minute to do things? I don't know. And once again, you start to discover, hey, in this season, how am I growing in my awareness? So this is Abram's calling. This is how it happened for him. And it wasn't immediate. It wasn't clear. It wasn't natural. But when God called, he stepped out. But I want to take you to a passage in Scripture and just know it's a doozy. It's one of those passages that you get weirded out by. Anyone ever been weirded out by a passage in Scripture? Like you read something, you're like, dear Lord, I don't even know what to make of that. It's the one you glaze over, the one you try not to read to your kids. That's where we're going today. Check this out. Abram said, sovereign Lord. Okay, I believe you're in control. Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? What you find is Abram was full of doubt. And he had questions, which we all do. And watch what God says. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. What? And Abram brought all these to him. Like he doesn't even pose a question. Abram doesn't say, wait a second, I'm asking you about this promise that you gave me. Why do you want me to go get all these animals? And what's clear is Abraham and God understood that there was a concept and a a thing at play that they would have understand in their culture and society, that we overlook. But Abram doesn't push back because him and God are aware, this is how you go about these type of agreements. So Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. So essentially what he does is he takes these animals and he, he cuts them in half. He puts one piece over here and the other piece over here. And he puts another piece over here and the other piece over here. And essentially what Abraham is doing is he's creating an aisle with these pieces of animals. So watch this. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And he falls into his sleep and, and God shows up. And watch what happens when God shows up. Tells us when the sun had set and darkness had fallen a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And check out this statement. And on that day the Lord made a covenant. The Lord made a promise. The Lord made a Well, uh, an agreement with Abraham. Here's what you have to understand. Abram is living what would be an oral society. So if you and I come up with an agreement, how are we going to establish that agreement? We're going to put it in writing. We're going to write it out. We're going to sign it. We're going to have it notarized. And if you and I were coming up with an agreement and I were to say to you, hey, put it in writing and let's sign it. You wouldn't say, why do I need to get a pen and paper and why do we need to write this down? You wouldn't ask because you understand in our written society, we put things in writing. Well, he lives in an oral society. At the time, they don't have the tools to put things in writing the way we do. So essentially, there is a mechanism at play. Guys, this this is fascinating. And so what they would do is when they would come up with an agreement, they would then act out the consequences that would take place if they didn't uphold their end of the agreement. It's, it's theatrical. It's a drama. And so you have these, these animals who are cut off and ripped in two. And it's, you would walk the aisle and say, if I don't hold up my end of the deal... This is what will happen to me. I'm so committed to this. I want you to know that I'm putting before you the consequences if I don't hold up my end of the deal. And so there's this amazing imagery smoking pot and this torch and i wish i had the time to take you to isaiah and to show you how the prophecies fulfilled and extrapolated in isaiah i wish i could take you to the book of jeremiah and show you the same thing in the book of jeremiah and i wish i could take you to mark and show you on the cross the fulfillment of this moment but what you find is startling it's breathtaking first off it's amazing by who walks through the aisle The the smoking pot and the blazing torch represent the presence of God. It's amazing. So essentially God makes this agreement and then he passes through the aisle. He says, Abraham, just so you know, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, these are the consequences that I'm committing to. It's amazing that God walks down the aisle. But it's equally amazing who doesn't walk down the aisle. Abraham didn't walk the aisle because our God said, hey, just so you know, if I don't fulfill my end of the deal, this is what's going to happen to me. And Abraham, if you don't fulfill your end of the deal, pressure's not on you. This is what will happen to me. I mean, this is an unconditional, breathtaking, life-altering, incomprehensible, undeservable grace that is being bestowed to Abraham. That is then offered to the rest of the world. That the pressure's off. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to live superstitious. You don't have to live as though the whole weight of the world rests upon your shoulders and one error or one faulty decision or one mistake throws the universe off of its axis. No, because of the grace of God, the pressure's off. The pressure is completely off. This is it's amazing. Some of you, you're trying too hard to be perfect. God's like, you don't have to be perfect. Some of you think, if I don't have all the answers, I can't step out in faith. No, that's not true. God's like, look, I have such big and remarkable plans for your life. And I'm so committed to them that I'm going to send my son to a cross and he's going to be cut off to cover the mistakes and the times you don't hold up your end of the deal. So here's the thing, two things. One, let's live in that freedom. Let's live in the joy that comes with grace. And two, let's stop saying, And let's stop falling to this idea that Christianity is like any other religion. No, it's not. No other God does this. No other God walks the aisle, takes the penalty. Every other major world religion says, hey, this is how you find God. Christianity says, this is how God found us. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins are his to bear. What a friend. I pray you live in pursuit of your calling to discover the friendship you could have with God. And church, know this. We are in a season of leadership transition but the head of this church has not moved an inch, never has, never will. He is the Lord of all, including Northview. So will you do me a favor and not pay too close attention to my leadership to where you stop focusing on his lordship? He is lord and i'm convinced if we continue going after him with all that we have god's favor and blessing will continue to be bestowed upon our church and i can't promise you a lot and i can't predict the future but what i guarantee is every single week i get the opportunity and i'm thrilled about what god may have next i'm gonna do everything i can with unyielding passion and as much boldness and courage as i can to give you Jesus and to tell you about my friend, to the best of my ability, week in and week out. That's my promise to you. Amen. Well, at this time, I'm going to pass it back to our campuses and leadership at each campus is going to lead out this next moment. I'm ask those of you in the room would you stand to your feet? Those of you who are in the room. You're in for a treat. I didn't get to be a part of any of the planning, but I did get to make one request, and that is that in closing, one of my closest best friends would, would close us in worship, and uh, he was on a mission trip, taught a flight from L.A. so he could be here with us today, and we guys, would you just welcome my friend Lawrence. <clears throat> he's going to lead us in this song, Firm Foundation, which I believe is the case for our